podcast. Hello and welcome to this special Twelfth Night Epiphany podcast with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. I suppose it has always been on my mind that eventually we'd have to talk about Laurence Olivier, and here we are. Don't tell anyone, but I had never actually seen his film of Hamlet until this past Christmas, when I duly watched it in preparation for our discussion of Hamlet on screen. I suppose I just always knew it was there, like an important paperweight, sitting on, maybe even weighing down, all other attempts to film or even stage this play. You kind of think you know it already, since its look, and particularly the image of a blonde Olivier holding that skull, are so embedded in our cultural consciousness. I was quite relieved while watching it. It really is a good film, and it has plenty of surprises to reward even the most jaded viewer. Olivier has always been a mystery to me. Obviously, I never saw him live on stage, and I've just confessed I hadn't seen the big film either. I definitely saw Henry V at university, and maybe bits of the Richard III, but it has always surprised me that I could never really remember what he looked like. Maybe this is the mark of a really great actor, or is a testament to his mercurial ability to alter his presence for any given role. There's also the fact that he loved to alter his appearance with makeup and subtle prosthetics, so that he really did look very different in everything he did. Whatever the reason, the name has for so long existed in my head without a particular face attached. And what a name it is. Laurence Kerr-Olivier was born in May 1907 to a family with very little theatrical history. His father was a clergyman, and throughout his childhood young Laurence was moved and inspired by the beauty of Christian ritual. Any thought of perhaps going into religious life was sidetracked while he was at school, and his participation in school plays and performances by the choristers of All Saints opened his eyes to the possibility of a life as an actor. By all accounts, he was rather good even back then, and he played Brutus in Julius Caesar. Apparently his Kate in The Taming of the Shrew was good enough that it was included in the Stratford Centenary celebrations. From All Saints, Olivier went to St Edward's School in Oxford, where he made quite an impression as Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream. It was only natural, then, that after secondary school he went on to train at the Central School of Drama in London, but his father only allowed this on the proviso that Olivier receive a scholarship and a bursary for it. He did, but he left the school after a year and went on stage. His first acting roles were small, as they so often tend to be, and he worked, among others, with the company of Sybil Thorndike. Even this early in his acting life, Olivier was particularly interested in technique, in delivery, in how to speak and communicate on stage. He had a horror of the way in which he saw old-fashioned actors declaiming and almost singing roles in Shakespeare. Olivier himself was far more interested in finding a way to speak the speech, in a lively, relatable, intelligible way. It was many years before the critics caught up with him. Thorndike eventually recommended him for a position with the Birmingham Rep, and here he earned his acting chops in such disparate plays as Uncle Vanya, She Stoops to Conquer, and All's Well That Ends Well. In Birmingham, he also got to know Ralph Richardson, who was to remain a lifelong friend and very close collaborator. In Birmingham, Olivier was nearly fired for corpsing, or getting the giggles while on stage. It was only a few years later that no less a figure than Noel Coward cured him of this while the two were performing in the latter's private lives. 
Coward had insisted that he and his muse Gertrude Lawrence would absolutely be able to break Olivier's bad habit, and they would set him up outrageously while on stage together. Apparently it took several months, but Olivier felt it was a great triumph when finally he felt that he had conquered this weakness. It wasn't until the late 1930s that Olivier came to play Hamlet on stage. By then he had had some success on stage and on screen, as far away as Broadway and even Hollywood. He had married his first wife, Jill Esmond, and Olivier had made a very good name for himself. He'd had his ups and downs, but he followed in the footsteps of John Gielgud and many others in accepting an invitation to work at the Old Vic. Gielgud had had enormous success as Hamlet at the Vic. His interpretation surely haunted anyone who tried to follow it in the same theatre. Critics constantly compared the two, usually preferring Gielgud's version. But Olivier did manage to score a first with his Old Vic Hamlet. The company was invited to Elsinore to perform the play in Denmark, establishing a tradition that continues to this day. This tour had the noted distinction of featuring Miss Vivian Lee as Ophelia, marking the beginning of what would be a very important relationship for both of them. A few more seasons at the Old Vic followed, including appearances as Orlando in As You Like It, the title role in Macbeth, Iago in Othello, and the title role in Coriolanus. It was for this performance that critics finally began to rate Olivier as a serious Shakespearean talent, likening him to many notable actors from the 19th century to the present. He was out from Gielgud's shadow now, for sure. Unlike Gielgud, Olivier had no problem working on film. He landed a variety of plum gigs over the years, and had made over a dozen films by the time he starred with Merle Oberon in Wuthering Heights in 1939. The following year, he played the brooding male leads in an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice and in Hitchcock's Rebecca. He got back-to-back -back Oscar nominations for Heathcliff and for Mr. Du Maurier, but it was another few years and several productions on stage and screen before he won a special honorary award for his outstanding achievement as actor, producer and director of Henry V. The film was made in 1944, a rather transparent but extremely effective piece of wartime optimism, if not outright propaganda. Olivier made the intriguing choice to have the sets appear deliberately artificial. In this, his first attempt to put Shakespeare on screen, he wanted the sets to be fake, so that Shakespeare's language could work. If everything had been real, or as he put it, normal, the audience would immediately have started to question why the characters were talking like that. Much of the filming took place in Ireland, since we were not actively involved in the war, and it was a safer and quieter location. In the aftermath of Henry V, Olivier got back to work at the Old Vic, running it in partnership with the aforementioned Ralph Richardson. The theatre itself had been bombed during the war, but the company took up in the new theatre, more recently known as the Albury and now the Noel Coward. The company played a variety of plays and genres, Chekhov, Sophocles, Ibsen, Shaw, and of course, Shakespeare. Highlights included Olivier's Richard III, which would eventually become another successful film, and Richardson as Falstaff in both parts of Henry IV. Often, critics seem to make a point of suggesting that Olivier let his amazing technique outshine any real feeling he had in his roles, from Oedipus to King Lear. In January of 1947, Olivier started work at last on his most famous film, Hamlet. As we discussed the other night, it was rather severely edited, 
but it was a resounding success critically and commercially. Oscars are not the be-all and end-all of artistic success, goodness knows, but this was the first ever non-American film to win Best Picture, the first for a performer to win for directing himself, and to date the only performance of a Shakespeare character to win an acting Oscar. Amid the slew of nominations it scored, it didn't get one for Best Adapted Screenplay, despite all those cuts. Although, Kenneth Branagh's version did. How he got such a nomination for having not edited the play at all is a real coup. Olivier's life was quite extraordinarily busy. I suppose I have been looking at it from the perspective of Hamlet and how he came to it. For my purposes, his life does seem to divide between before and after his major Hamlets on stage and screen. Olivier was responsible for so much. The Old Vic, the Richard III, the Prince and the Showgirl with Marilyn Monroe, Titus Andronicus in Stratford with Peter Brook, new plays like The Entertainer by John Osborne, Beckett, Spartacus, the film, and even An Othello, which today looks horrifying for its almost nonchalant use of blackface. This production was with the fledgling National Theatre Company, founded in 1962 with Olivier as its first director. Surprise, surprise, the company's first ever production was Hamlet, directed by Olivier and starring Peter O'Toole. For any Irish listeners, there was a terrific documentary on T.G. Cahar over Christmas, all about Peter O'Toole and his connections to Ireland. It's a great watch and features at least a few glimpses of that landmark Hamlet. The development of the National Theatre was a slow process, and it was many years from the company's foundation and early performances at the Old Vic before the new building on London's South Bank was opened. Despite having agreed to a second term as artistic director in the hope of leading the company to this new home, things just took too long, and Olivier was succeeded by Peter Hall. Olivier may not have managed to bring the company into this new home, but he was awarded the honour of having its largest auditorium named after him. It's a very impressive space, modelled somewhat on the ancient theatre of Epidaurus in Greece. One wonders how Laurence Olivier might have commanded such an open stage in his heyday. Olivier died on my eighth birthday in 1989. He's remembered with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, a statue in front of the National Theatre on the South Bank, and he gives his name to the British equivalent of the Tonys, the Laurence Olivier Awards, granted every year in his name since 1984. Of course, I would love to tell you that the award is a miniature sculpture of Baron Olivier as Hamlet, which would be all too perfect for me, but in fact it is him as Henry V with the crown on his head. The sheer weight of this man's contribution to acting, cinema, theatre and of course to Shakespeare is almost immeasurable. All his successors are in some kind of dialogue with the decisions and achievements that he made first. He made the first successful Shakespeare films. He turned the dream of a British national theatre into a reality. He made himself synonymous with greatness in acting. And even now I still can't quite put a face on him. Perhaps he was just that good. I always assumed that Olivier would have to be the subject of the last of these bonus episodes, and technically he is. He's number 20, the one that accompanies the final scene of the play. But life is more interesting than just painting by the numbers, so there will be one more tomorrow night. Since, after all, we are at the end of this great journey, and we need to start asking, what happens next? I hope you'll join me then. <laughs>